Well, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you take them and open to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 5. If you're just now joining our live stream or if you've joined somewhere since the beginning, uh, I'd like to introduce myself. My name's Earl Smith. I'm the senior pastor at Beulah Missionary Church in Goshen, Indiana. Uh, At Beulah Missionary Church, our mission, our desire is to form big Christians. And, And we define big Christians as follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus, who belong to Jesus, who are becoming like Jesus, and who are being sent by Jesus to make a difference in their community and in their world. And so as we talk about what it means to to become a big Christian, we talk about four stages of spiritual growth. And you can kind of see visuals of them here. We talk, first of all, about spiritual infants. This is where we all start as we come to faith in Christ. We're uh, we're spiritual infants who need to grow. But the, the idea is not to stop here, but to move on through other stages. And so the next stage we talk about is spiritual children. And these are those who have been followers for a while and who are growing and maturing, you know, but still need help and, and still need to be guided in the right direction and still need to learn what it means to own their own faith. The next stage of spiritual development we talk about is spiritual young adults. And you don't see a chair up here for spiritual young adults because spiritual young adults don't have time to sit down. They're so busy serving others and, and doing things to put their faith into practice that, uh, that, that, that they hardly do sit down. But the fourth stage of spiritual development is what we call um, spiritual parents. This is the the stage in which you begin to pour yourself into others, not just by doing things for them or with them like the spiritual young adult might do, but as a spiritual parent, your goal is to, to replicate or duplicate your faith, to pour your faith into someone else. And so uh, that's spiritual parenthood. Now, in today's passage that we're going to read out of Hebrews chapter 5, we see that the author talks some about uh, spiritual development and spiritual growth. He talks about two of these stages, and he talks about what happens if um, somewhere you get off track between uh, you know, the beginning, spiritual infanthood, and, and, and the goal, spiritual maturity or spiritual parenthood. So we're going to read, and we're going to see what he has to say about that. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 11, if you'd like to follow along. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 5, verse 11, we have much to say about this. Now, obviously, we're coming in on the middle of a conversation here. Uh, and, and so let me just bring you kind of up to speed on that. The goal of this whole book of the book of Hebrews is to communicate, to help Jews turn Christians understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they believe in their, believed in their Jewish faith. Uh, he talks about how Jesus is the supreme example of all of the important things or, or many important things in the Jewish faith. And so in this specific section, the conversation we're coming in on the middle of, he's trying to teach them that Jesus is the supreme high priest. And he gets partway into that discussion. And then he, he takes this little kind of parenthetical conversation, we might call. And it's kind of typical of Greek writers. And, uh, and what he does is he tries to, to goad on his readers to stick with him. It's, you know, it's like the teacher or the preacher who, who says things like, now stick with me, don't tune out. I want you to stay with me. And that's kind of what he's doing here. So in verse 11, we, we come in with this parenthetical conversation on the middle of a conversation. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. 
In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, I want you to remember that when scripture writers wrote, um, you know, what we call books, or this is a letter, they didn't write them with um, verse markers and, and chapter breaks. That, that's just not how they did it. Those were added later to, uh, to help us as we read scripture and, and to be able to approach it in a systematic way. So sometimes as we read what's in scripture, we need to kind of straddle those borders. We need to understand that the end of chapter five in this case isn't a hard stop, but the thought continues. So we're going to continue into chapter six. I'm going to go back and read verse 14, and we're going to roll into chapter six then. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So the author mentions here in these verses we've read two specific stages of spiritual formation or spiritual growth and development. He talks about spiritual infants, and then he talks about the mature, or what we call spiritual parents. And then he has this conversation about what happens when we don't move along from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, but when we get sidetracked, or, or we're going to use the word stunted, so what we're going to do today is look at the kind of some characteristics of each that the author talks about. But before we get to that, I want to make clear about this up front. You know, as we read these verses, it, it kind of has a kind of a chiding tone. It's like the author is, is chiding his readers, or, or in this case, it feels like us because we're reading and listening. It's like he's chiding us for not being more mature than we are, for being spiritual infants. But let's be clear about this. Being a babe in Christ, being a spiritual infant is not a problem if you're new to the faith. So for example, in the first couple months of this year of 2020, here when we were still gathered together, we celebrated a number of people who had come to faith in Christ uh, uh, you know, in December or January, February of this year. And that's fantastic. We would expect that people who've just come to faith would be spiritual infants. That's where we all start. That's not a bad thing. The people that the author is chiding here or, or encouraging to get moving again are those who've been uh, Christians or followers of Jesus for a long time, let's say maybe years, but who are still stuck back here in spiritual infancy, who haven't learned how to, to grow and haven't taken steps to grow in their faith. So I, I want to make clear that we're on the same page there. There's not a problem with spiritual infancy if that's where you belong. But if you're a spiritual infant because you haven't moved forward, that's what the author addresses. So he mentions some markers of spiritual infants. Let's, let's look at those. Notice verse 12. He says, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word. Okay, now this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is a marker of a spiritual infant. They need someone 
to teach them. When you're new in faith, you need someone to teach you what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, we kind of get this instinctively because as we raise human babies, we have to teach them things. So when our first child was born, uh, I made it my goal that I was going to teach her something before we left the hospital. Now, I'm not just talking about, you know, some kind of instinctual response that she would have. My goal was to present her with some stimulus and to teach her how to respond back consistently in the same way. So, so specifically, because I, I'm, you know, I wasn't sure if this would work, my goal was to teach her how to stick out her tongue on command. Lofty goal, I know it served her well over the last 17 years. So I spent hours in the hospital holding Amy and, and getting her to open her eyes and look at me and, and she would look at me and I'd stick my tongue out at her. And, and uh, you know, when it first started, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe you know, squeeze her cheeks or do something to get her to stick her tongue out. And, and as we went on, before we left the hospital, and, and this just isn't me making this up, you can question my wife about it. You could question our family members about it, I got her to stick her tongue out at me when I would stick mine out at her. That's pretty basic, maybe somewhat humorous and and really kind of a useless life skill, but there's lots of things that parents have to teach babies, right? We, We have to teach babies how to, how to, nurse, whether it's from the mother or from the bottle. We, we teach babies how to um, roll over, how to crawl, how to walk, how to talk. I mean, it seems like the list is endless of what we have to teach humans as we grow and develop. Well, it turns out the, the same is true of spiritual growth. There's a lot of teaching required now, this teaching kind of breaks down to, into two components as the author describes it here. Let me, let me show you what I mean. He says in verse 12 that, that they need someone to teach them the basics of the Christian faith, or, or that's what we're calling it. He says the elementary truths of the Christian faith. So when he talks about the elementary truths, he's talking about the basic things that we need to learn and know and to be, to be able to live and grow as Christians. So what are those basics? Well, let's think of it in these terms. What are the basics of reading? My guess would be before you ever even thought about being able to learn how to read, you learned the basics of reading. As a matter of fact, most of us learned the basics of reading in a little song. I bet you know it. Sing it with me. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And you could keep going. I know more than that, and you do too, but it's kind of weird singing solo. Um, you know, we learn the basics of reading long before we ever learn how to read. And, and there's this sense in which the author, talk, when he talks about the elementary truths of God's word, he's talking about the things that we need to know in order to build a foundation of Christian growth. And he actually mentioned those at the beginning of chapter six. And what we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to look at each of those basics. That's not an exhaustive list, but it's the six that, that God's word here thought were most important important to mention. So we're going to look at those each as we move on. But I want you to notice what else the author says in verse 13 about being taught the basics of the Christian faith. Notice verse 13, he says that in order to grow, infants need to become acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That word acquainted is an interesting word here. It's, it's not so much about head knowledge and understanding as it is about... Um, hands and feet knowledge. It's not about head knowledge. It's about hands and feet knowledge. It's about being so familiar with something because of repetition and doing it over and over that it just comes 
naturally. And then that hands and feet knowledge is further clarified as he continues in verse 13. He, he talks about the teaching about righteousness. Talks about the teaching about righteousness. So we need to become acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, righteousness in this context is about right living. Actually, let me say that another way. When, when the author of Hebrews is talking about righteousness here, he's talking about the act of living rightly. And so he says infants need to be taught not only what to understand and, and how to think and, and, and kind of the, the head knowledge of the Christian faith, but we also, spiritual infants, need to become acquainted with what it means to, uh, to grow and to live rightly, to do the right things and to avoid the right things. We need head knowledge, yes, for sure, spiritual infants need to grow in head knowledge. But that's not the goal. The more important goal is to live in a way that pleases God, to live rightly. It's both the head and the hands and feet. And infants need someone to teach them that. They need someone to come alongside and say, this is what you need to know and understand, and this is how you need to live. So he talks on the one hand about the spiritual infants, and then he kind of jumps to the other end of the spectrum, and he talks about the spiritually mature. Notice verse 14. He writes, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He's going to give us some, some three significant marks here of what it means to be mature. The first one is this, that uh, the mature followers of Christ have trained themselves. He uses an interesting word here. In Greek, the word is gymnazo. Gymnazo. What do you hear when I say the Greek word gymnazo? Well, if you're anything like me, you hear probably something like the word gymnasium which really fits. The, the word that he uses here is designed to be an active word. It's, a, it's an athletic word. It talks about training and competition and, and, and you know, living in such a way that, that your athletic goals come into reach, that, that you prepare your body uh, for, you, to be conditioned for what you want to accomplish. Now, when I was a student at Bethel College, now Bethel University, uh, I recall with vivid clarity the athletes who would go through preseason conditioning. All the sports did it, um, but it seemed like the soccer players had the most brutal preseason conditioning of, of all the teams, at least from my perspective. These, man, when the, when the soccer players were in preseason conditioning, they were running further and faster than I could even imagine. I mean, it's like they were constantly pushing their bodies to exhaustion. I had a friend, his name was Sean. He was a soccer player. And I remember one particular evening as we were in the dorm, uh, I was asking Sean about his preseason conditioning, what the coach had prescribed for them to do in this, in this time preparing for the season. And, and uh, after I asked him and he began to respond, I realized I was kind of a jerk because I was eating a Papa John's pizza as I asked him about his conditioning. And, and I kind of started to feel bad. And, and so I apologized that, uh, you know, as soon as he, you, he was done or I had a second, I, I apologized. I man, I shouldn't be eating pizza in front of you when you're talking about conditioning and what you're supposed to do. And he said, oh, it's no big deal, Earl. You know, I've been playing soccer all my life and I'm pretty good at it. I figured today it'd be okay if I just jogged back to the dorm and I took a nap and, and then I ordered some pizza. So it's all good. Not really much to my surprise, Sean ended up not playing soccer that season. 
But you know, it's interesting to me. This is what it seems like Christians, we have a tendency to do this. And, and I've been through seasons where I do this. You know, we, we kind of um, saunter into church. You know, we sit down, we kind of go through the motions and we can't wait for the sermon to be over, for the whole thing to be done. And, and then we, you know, we head out to lunch and come back and repeat it all again next week. And we wonder why in the world, years later, are we not really growing in our faith? Why don't we understand more than we did before? Why do we still struggle with some of these areas of living rightly? Well, hear this, beloved. You're not going to grow from infant to mature by merely coming to church and going through the motions. I mean, even if you come every Sunday and every Wednesday and other opportunities when we give you to, to grow and, and serve others, unless you're doing more than those things, unless you're learning on your own, unless you're training yourself, you're conditioning yourself to put into practice what you're learning in your life, you're not going to grow from infant to mature. You need to learn how to take what you're learning in Sunday morning, Sunday school or worship or Wednesday nights or in your midweek small group or in your Bible studies. You need to condition yourself to take those things and apply them to your life so that you can grow. So as he talks about three marks to the mature, he said they've trained themselves, they've conditioned themselves, they've learned how to do this. And he says to distinguish good from evil, to distinguish good from evil. The difference between those two words, at least in Greek, is, is interesting to me. The Greek word for good is the word kalos. Say that with me, kalos. And the Greek word for evil is kakos. Say that with me, kakos. What do you notice about those two words? Do you notice there's only one letter of difference between the two? I think that's interesting. Because what we find is that evil often masquerades as good. We find that wrong living often looks pretty close or can look pretty close to right living unless you've been trained to know the difference. Unless you can spot the differences between good and evil, which the writer here says is something ma the mature Christian has learned to do. Unless you've learned to do it, it's going to trick you every time. And so we want to keep growing in our understanding so that, uh, so that we can sniff out the newest false teaching masquerading as a best-selling book. We want to continue to grow in our righteousness, to keep learning how to live rightly so that we know, you know, when, when well-meaning behavior has crossed the line and has actually become wrong behavior. So he says the mature have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And then he says this back in verse 12. This is kind of where we started. And he says, and are teaching others. Notice verse 12. This is kind of like the chiding thing we get. He says, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be mature in your faith and able to teach others. The, the idea is that part of maturing spiritually is the desire and the ability to pour yourself into someone else. Now, don't get hung up on the word teachers. It's not used here in a technical sense. He's not saying that you need to be teaching a Sunday school class or, or that you need to be you know, leading a small group Bible study. 
Now, some people have the spiritual gift of teaching and they do need to be doing that. But for every believer, that's not necessarily the expectation. What he's talking about here is that desire to pass on to others what you have learned as you've been maturing and what you're learning now as you continue to mature in Christ. One of the highlights of my week, at least when we're not in a global pandemic, comes on Wednesday, the middle of the week. You see, Wednesday afternoon, our kitchen crew comes in here at the church building, and they begin to prepare the meal that we serve our church body and community on Wednesday nights. And you know, if you're part of Beulah, you know that Virgil and Marie Strom are, are the leaders of that kitchen crew. And man, what a joy it is for me. I go in typically pretty early on Wednesdays when it's just them and, and maybe one other person here. And, and I go in and I just talk with them. And I'm telling you, you would be amazed at the, the spiritual growth, the things that I've learned. Not only, you know, not only do they ask me questions that stretch me to understand and, and think more, but um, their very life and experience. And, uh, you know, it teaches me how to live rightly and how to age with grace. It's, it's an incredible time just for maybe 20 minutes every Wednesday. But then I also come back later Wednesday afternoon, about the time that the rest of the kitchen crew is there, and then they're sitting down to eat before they serve us. And, and I love going table to table as they're eating. And, and I'm telling you, as I walk table to table, I hear a lot of teaching going on. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no PowerPoint and fill in the blank slips. There's no, uh, you know, no outline or, or anything like that. It's just men and women sitting with each other, telling stories, encouraging one another, offering advice, just kind of pouring into each other's lives. The, the reality of Jesus Christ in them. So understand, it's not primarily a matter of being a formal teacher, it's just living out the ability to pour myself into someone else, to, to help others grow in the understanding and, and of what it means to think as a Christian and to live as a Christian. As a matter of fact, I would say this is one of the best litmus tests for spiritual maturity. Am I actively, intentionally pouring myself into specific people so that they can grow in their faith? If you ask yourself that question, am I actively, intentionally pouring myself into specific people so that they can grow in their faith? If you ask yourself that question and there aren't specific names or faces that come to mind, that may be a good sign that you're stunted in your spiritual growth. Interestingly, the, the author of Hebrews here talks about what it means to be stunted in your growth. And again, he gives us some characteristics. Uh, the first thing kind of that we have the sense is that we become stunted in our growth because we're no longer trying to grow. He says this right in verse 11, you are no longer trying to understand. Now, the actual Greek words here in verse 11 are, are probably better translated. You have become dull learners. You've become dull learners. Now, I'll be honest. I've talked about teachers and preachers as, as dull you know, presenters, dull communicators. You probably have too. Maybe you are now. But have we ever talked about listeners or learners as dull well, maybe we should. 
You see, maybe on the times when you come to church and you listen to a sermon and you yawn and you walk out and say, man, that was so dull. Maybe it's not that the preacher was dull or that the sermon was dull, but, but maybe it's your desire to grow and understand has become dull. Or maybe those times like me, I'm sure you've had them when you read scripture and you're like, man, this is just so dull. Maybe it's not a matter of Scripture being dull. As a matter of fact, Scripture is pretty clear. It's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword, able to, to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. Scripture has a way of cutting through whatever in, is in its way. Maybe it's not that the Scripture is dull, but that your desire to put into practice what you're learning in Scripture, what Scripture is telling you, maybe that's what's become dull. There's a lot of things in life that dull us, that give us a dull edge. We're, you know, things like unconfessed sin and unforgiveness and laziness and self-righteousness and, and thinking I know everything I need to know because I've got this degree or because I've got this experience. Mm, the Bible's pretty clear here though. When we get stunted in our spiritual growth, it's because we've become dull. That sharp edge, that desire to learn and to grow has been blunted by something. And it doesn't really talk about here in this passage why that happens. It just talks about the effect of that. Not only do we become stunted in our spiritual growth because we're unwilling to learn or no longer trying to grow, but when we're stunted, we begin to live a weak spiritual life. Notice verse 12. He says, you need milk, not solid food. You need milk, not solid food. You see, not only is your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength dull and not able to, to process the, uh, you know, the deeper things of Christian thought and living, but you're not developing the strength to grow in those abilities. You're, you're not developing the strength to move from milk to meat because you're satisfied with the milk. I mean, again, just speaking in a human, in, you know, in, in, in biology and human development, we understand there's no problem with milk unless you have some kind of disorder in your body. Adults need milk. Milk is part of us continuing to grow. And, and even the most mature adult typically still needs milk in their diet. The same is true of spiritual growth and development. We're going to always need the basics of the Christian life in our diet, regardless of how mature we are. The problem isn't that you're consuming milk or that you're, you know, going back to the basics, so to speak. The problem is when that's your only diet, because then you're not going to develop the strength necessary to grow. I mean, you might become the greatest milk connoisseur in your church. You may strut around your, your Sunday school class with a big milk mustache, bigger than anyone else's. You may have binders and pages of notes. Your Bible may, may be stuffed with sermon notes from who knows how long ago. Maybe you have stuff even written in the margin of your, uh, of your Bible pages. You, you may be able to speak fluently of the best preachers and sermons that you've ever heard. But until your spiritual life moves past just being fed, you're going to live a weak spiritual life. You won't know the, uh, the, the beauty, the exhilaration of reading God's word and watching the, the words on the pages come alive and, and, and give you encouragement and confidence and correction. 
you'll rarely experience the confidence when you've prayed that not only has God heard you, but that your words have actually joined in with the words that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are praying for you before God's throne. You rarely walk away from your small group with a spring in your step because, man, God just did something incredible and you really got to help someone. You'll be easily fooled and manipulated, Scripture says, by uh, any crafty and cunning teaching that comes along. If you only survive on milk and you never learn how to grow in your faith, you might feel good about your religious activities. But in those quiet moments when your mind is just reflecting, you'll have this nagging feeling that your life is spiritually empty and weak. So what do we do? What do we do to keep our spiritual growth from becoming stunted, to, to keep moving from spiritual infant to you know, spiritual child to spiritual young adult all the way to maturity to spiritual parenthood? Or if we are stunted, how do we get out of that? How do we reinitiate growth and maturity again? Let me offer you three suggestions out of this text. First of all, learn the basics. Learn the basics. Again, here it is in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word. So if you're a spiritual infant or if you find yourself stalled out or stunted in your growth, go back to the basics and, and learn or relearn the basics. Well, how do we do that? Let me offer you a few concrete suggestions, ways that, that we would love to help you get unstuck or to continue your faith journey. And you might want to write these down, although I think you'll find that they're kind of intuitive if you've been around the church for a while. First of all, be in worship every week. Come to worship services every week. And if not here, then at your own church. But hopefully, uh, if you don't have a church, you would, you would love to come here. You see, here on Sunday mornings, we tend to work in sermon series. And so what happens is in this day and age, regular church attendance has become defined as two Sundays a month. So if you become regular as culture defines it, that means you're going to miss about half of what we're teaching here. Now, I mean, that's, that's better than nothing. But if you're only getting half of what God would like to pour into you, of, of, of what he'd like to teach you, then your journey's going to be twice as long. And not only is it a matter of you're not going to be learning what you need to be learning, learning, but the very fact that you're not training yourself, that you're not disciplining yourself to go engage in an action that will help you grow talks about the hand and feet knowledge. Like you're not going to get that muscle memory. You're not going to, um, you're not going to be conditioned to grow the way that the author talks about here. So be in worship every week. I would suggest plug into a Sunday school class when they start again, which hopefully will be here in the next few months. We have some great Sunday school classes here. We've got Pastor Greg on one end of the spectrum teaching a class that offers kind of a big view of scripture uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we have Dr. Wayne Gerber, who uh, slices through scripture a verse at a time and wrings out everything he can from each verse. And then we've, you know, in between those kind of those two extremes, we have other teachers who do a great job of helping you to, to learn and grow in your understanding and to learn and grow in the way that you live out this, the Christian faith. So I would encourage you to become part of a Sunday school. Find someone 
to disciple you. You've heard us beat this drum. We continue to beat this drum. It's so important, especially if you're new in the faith, but definitely if you're stunted, that you find a more mature Christian who's willing to meet with you one-on-one or maybe, you know, maybe able, you know, maybe, maybe it's like a two-on-one deal, um, you know, but a small group and intentionally pour into you. Someone who can sit down and read scripture with you to help you understand what you can draw out of it, what the spirit might be saying to you. Someone who you can open scripture with and say, as I read this this week, I think this is what God is telling me. And they can, they can confirm that or they can you know, help you to take the next step with that. Someone who will pray with you. Someone who you'll give access to your life so that they can say, um, you know, here's maybe an area that, that you want to focus some attention on so that you can grow in that area. These are some concerns I have, or these are some, some ways I see you growing like crazy. Find someone to disciple you. Join a small group. Uh, small groups are crucial. Pastor Greg is doing them now on Zoom. Uh, it's an opportunity in this pandemic to, to join with other people. You see, small group is different than Sunday school. They're both good. Sunday school is often informational learning. Small, that's Sunday school. Small group is transformational learning. As we, as we read together and pray together and process God's word together, as we open up our lives to another group of people so that we can continue to grow. And then finally, just one more thought. Find a scripture reading plan and consistently read your Bible on your own. I mean, this is so basic. This is, you know, this is like rolling over for a baby. You gotta be reading scripture on your own. Everything else that I've talked about, Sunday morning worship, Sunday school, small group, you know, even, even uh, finding a, a disciple or someone to meet with one-on-one, all those are about someone else feeding you and pouring into you. And that's important. But if you're going to mature, if you're going to get unstuck, you have got to be disciplined enough to read scripture and allow God to speak to you. You've got to be feeding yourself, not just relying on what other people do. Now, I want to be clear, these things we just talked about, these ideas, these are not about salvation. You don't become saved by doing these things. You don't keep your salvation by doing these things. These are not about salvation. They're about, we might say, sanctification or or spiritual maturity. They're about growing in your faith. They're about taking steps and doing things and conditioning yourself, creating the atmosphere so that you can grow. Don't get those two confused. What's one other thing I can do if, uh, if I'm stunted or to guarantee that I continue to mature? Move beyond the basics. This is what the author says in, in chapter six, verse one. He says, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Now let's be clear. We're not talking about setting aside the basics. Like we said earlier, even mature adults need milk in their diet. So it's not like I'm gonna learn it and never come back to it. But the idea is here that the the basics creates a foundation and we don't want to keep working on the foundation. We need to be able to come back and set things on the foundation and build on it and grow. And, And there may be times in life where we realize we need to expand the foundation a little bit. Or there may be times we realize where the foundation needs, you know, a little, a little extra work or attention, but, but the goal isn't to always just be about the foundation, just the milk. We want to build on those things. We want to move beyond it uh, in that we allow the foundation to do what it's supposed to do. So how are some ways, what are some ways to do that? Again, just a few ideas. Join a ministry team. 
Part of spiritual growth is the ability to pour into others what God is teaching you. And a ministry team is a great way to do that. I would say, especially if you were to volunteer with Beulah Kids, for example. I don't know about you, but anytime I get around children in a way that I'm responsible and I have to teach them or move them in a certain direction, that brings out new areas or exposes new things in my own life that I need to continue to grow in. There's nothing like a room full of kids to teach me how impatient I am, for example. Uh, maybe you want to do a deeper study with a more mature Christian. This is different than, than one-on-one discipleship. This is like a small burst. This is a sprint, not a marathon, where we say, you know, I really want to learn about this, or I need to grow in this. And so we ask someone to come alongside us and to, to do a study with us so, so that we can grow in that understanding or, or in that ability to live rightly. I've, I've done this all throughout my adult life in different ways. And, and I'm telling you, every time I grow like Christ, crazy. I've done it with other pastors. I've done it with older believers. I've done it with younger believers who have come to me and asked for help. I've done it on my own, kind of a self-guided focus study using various tools. But there's something about saying, I'm going to do a deeper study that'll help me focus on one area where I need to grow and develop. And then finally, another thought, share your faith with somebody Share your faith with somebody. Now, I'm not talking about just going out and, and you know, telling someone the four spiritual laws or, or telling, you know, inviting someone to become a Christian. That certainly is sharing your faith, and, and we certainly ought to be doing that. But when I say share your faith with someone, I mean just find a way to bring your faith into a part of your life where your faith might have a tendency to slip into the background. I mean, it's easy to come into the church building when we're allowed to again and to greet others saying things like God bless you or God loves you or, you know, things like that. It may be harder for you to do that at the grocery store or in a conversation with a friend that you've known since high school who saw you when you were, you know, well, less than Christian. Um, But find a way to bring your faith out when it would be easier to hide it. And then the final thing that the author says about, uh, you know, how do we move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, or how do we get unstuck if we become stunted? He says, be taken forward to maturity. Be taken forward to maturity. This is chapter six, verse one. Do you notice the, the change of voice? The first two things we talk about were active. I'm doing something to grow in my faith, to mature. This one is passive. Something is happening to me that is causing me to grow. I'm being taken to maturity. So I guess that begs the question, if I'm the one being taken, who's doing the taking? Who is moving me forward? I think the answer is kind of maybe common sense. It's God. God is the one who's moving us forward. He is always the one. God is always the one who grows us. It's always a work of the Holy Spirit. Anytime someone takes their next step with Jesus, my salvation, my sanctification, growing up to become like Jesus are always the work of Jesus Christ in me first and foremost. The summer that I graduated from high school, I had the opportunity to attend the Indy 500 uh, with one of my uncles and one of my younger brothers. And we were there before the race, kind of walking through the infield and, you know, just talking and, and just doing what you do, uh, you know, at, a, at an Indy 500. And, and as we were doing that, my uncle took out a cigarette and lit it up. 
I wasn't, I wasn't really a fan of cigarette smoke, and, and I was feeling kind of, I don't know, cantankerous, self-righteous. So I kind of dropped back, dro- dropped back behind the two of them, and it just slowed down and let them keep going, and you know, just kind of drug my feet. Eventually, my uncle turned around, concerned about me, and, and said, yo, you need to keep up with us, Earl. And I was, like I said, I was feeling self-righteous. I was a jerk. I said, I can keep up with you guys just fine. I don't want to smell your cigarette smoke. And then as if to cinch some kind of victory in whatever was going on here, I said, besides, do you really think God wants you smoking a cigarette? (laughs) Just like that, my uncle stopped dead in his tracks, spun around, stuck out his finely trained marine finger and said, now you listen to me. God has freed me from drugs and alcohol, and when he's ready, he'll free me from cigarettes too. But if it's okay with you, I'll let him be the one to tell me when that is. Man, I felt about this big when that happened. And I learned a lesson I've never forgotten. My growth to become more like Jesus is always first and foremost God's work in me. He's the one who works in me and wills in me in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Yes, I have a part. Yes, I have a role. Yes, there's things I need to do. Yes, I need to work out my salvation. But only as God does it in me, it's only God who carries me forward. So what do we do with this? How do do I allow myself to be taken forward to maturity? I, I mean, I don't know how to answer that. Scripture's not really clear on that. But let me suggest one thing. Just a, a three-word prayer. Father, what now? Father, what now? Ask God in prayer where he would like to grow you and what he would like you to do. What's your next step? What can you do so that he can accomplish in you what he wants to allow, allow him to carry you, allow him to grow you. Understand that your spiritual growth and maturity is first and foremost God's work in you as you continue to partner with him in that. Beloved, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual walk today, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet and, and you've still desired to listen to this, or maybe you're one of the new Christians who's recently come to faith, or or maybe you're saying, you know what, I am kind of stunted. Somehow I just got off track. I became dull. I didn't condition and train myself. Or maybe you're mature and you're actively pouring your faith into this. Wherever you're at today, I want you to know that it's God's desire, it's God's will that you would grow to maturity, that you would become a spiritual parent who's actively, intentionally pouring your faith into the life of others. And if you're not there yet, don't give up. Keep moving. If you're stuck, let us help you get unstuck. If you're mature, keep it up. Don't go backwards. And regardless of where you're at, I hope that you'll join us in the next few weeks as we go back to the basics, as we revisit the foundation to make sure that we're building on something that has value, on something that will allow us to continue to, to, to pursue spiritual maturity. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, even though maybe sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, for, for words like the, the author of Hebrews has here for us when, when he reminds us that our goal is to continue to grow and to develop, to move from spiritual infant to mature. 
to continue to, to train ourselves and condition ourselves to, to desire more than milk. Father, would you help us? Would you help me, first of all, as a believer, to, to continue to move forward in my spiritual maturity? Would you, would you help me to remember that, that ultimately you're the one carrying me, you're the one moving me forward, and then would you help me not to drag my feet, but to work with you? And Father, I would pray the same for my brothers and sisters who are watching, who are in this room. Father, would you help us to be a people who desire meat, who don't want to keep revisiting the, the elementary truths of the Christian faith, but, but desire to grow and develop? Would you help us to be a church, a community of faith that helps people to take their next steps with you, to move forward and to keep moving forward, who, who helps people who are stunted to get back on track and who does it with the grace and kindness and love of our heavenly father, who's willing that we would all keep growing, who desires that we would all do that, and who lovingly, tenderly, and in just the way we need has the ability to come alongside us and to get us moving in the direction that you want us. Father, thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.